The Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Nick Hall, head of advice at Wealth Wizards, the 12-year-old FCA-regulated company that uses technology to make expert financial advice affordable and accessible to everyone. Its flagship software-as-a-service platform, Turo, is used by financial advisors to automate the humdrum aspects of their work so that they can spend more time with their clients. Nick has oversight of both the financial advisor white label business and the direct advice service offered by Wealth Wizards. Nick, thanks for joining us. Many thanks, uh, Dominic. It's great to be here. Thank you. Now, financial advisors, which is what we're going to talk about today, uh, work in an industry in which they're much faster than their revenues, which is squeezing their margins. What do you see from your day-to-day work? What do you see advisors doing to address that problem? Are they automating their manual processes? Are they merging with each other? Are they setting up joint ventures or collaborations with third parties? What are they doing? Outsourcing, offshoring, hiring, bringing in less qualified sort of paraprofessionals to do the work. How are they tackling that margin pressure problem? It's a, it's a great question, Dominic. I think the, that the main thing that we're seeing from the IFAs and the, the, the advisors that we speak to is that they're using power planners more and more now. So a lot of the, the jobs that they used to do three or four years ago, they're saying, well, power planners can do the writing of the suitability report, for example, the write-up of the, the first interview when they come back from a meeting, and often the, the write-up of the, the diagnosis as well. So certainly power planners are becoming more and more skilled. Uh, they're seeing more of their power planners become level four qualified, and even some of them are moving up to be advisors themselves within advised businesses that we speak to. So certainly a lot more going on power planners and advisors themselves are very much seeing there's, there's four areas that they are trying to trying to change, um, certainly in the pandemic and certainly what we've seen since you know two or three years. And that's very much onboarding clients. So they're seeing onboarding clients as a, can power planners do that? Can some of the office staff do that rather than the advisor themselves? Because the big problem they're facing is they just haven't got enough time to see the number of clients on their books. So they're starting to use more office staff to do the onboarding, using power planners to do the, the first bit of the, the write-up of the interview, and certainly the suitability report as well. Um, we're not really seeing anyone um, offshore any of this. Um, we're certainly seeing advice businesses say, let's keep it onshore, keep it within our own advice business, because more often than not, they see they've got to look after these clients. Um, and they see that by keeping it in-house and just using more of their own staff, but particularly power planners, I think there's, uh, there's been an increase of, and I think the industry's seeing that as well. So effectively they're inundated with, with paperwork, but they're finding the way to solve that is to have kind of less qualified personnel deal with it. Now, what's the, what's the principal cause of that increased burden? Is it, um, is it a result of compliance obligations is it a result of the fact they're working with legacy systems themselves and legacy processes as well? Or is it because the customers are looking for more from their financial advisors? Maybe it's all of those things. But what's the cause of the increase, that lack of time you've referred to? I think it's a combination of all what you've just said there, Dominic. I think it's certainly legacy systems. A lot of the advisors we speak to, when you look at their desktops, there's five, six, seven, eight bits of technology on there. They've got customers in their backbook that are on really old systems that don't talk to the new systems that they're using. Um, and the biggest pain when I speak to them personally is if we could get rid of everything on my desktop, they could just have one platform, one piece of technology, that would be ideal. Um, compliance, compliance is, is certainly not getting any easier. You know, the, the regulator looks at cases as they always did, uh, risk and compliance, the advice has got to be right. Um, and advisors always want to ensure that the suitability report the customer's getting is always spot on as well. So I don't think compliance and risk has got any worse, but it's certainly not got any better to a point of, well, it's easy now. And a lot of advisors we speak to actually embrace risk and compliance now and say, everything's got to be for the best uh, for the client. It's got to be in the right, so the client, we get the right client outcome. So I don't think that's got any worse. Um, I think the biggest pressure that I don't think you mentioned there was the annual review. So yep. a lot of advisors we're speaking to are really struggling to onboard enough new clients um, and actually do the existing client reviews as well. So the biggest thing we get asked at, at Wealth Wizards is, 
can you notice that all to make these reviews because the customers are coming back year after year and we've still got the same amount of paperwork, paperwork to do an annual review. So we've still got to go through the fact find, we've still got to produce another suitability report and that's very time consuming. So that's the biggest burden they say is, can you automate the annual review for us or make it a lot, lot easier? But what they don't want to do is just get rid of the um, customer to a computer. You know, so they often say to us, we, we like automation, but we certainly don't want to lose our personal touch. And what we're hearing a lot in the market now is this word hybrid. So hybrid, we still want to talk to our clients, but we want to, we want to use technology to get rid of a lot of this heavy lifting. That, on, on that point about we don't want to stick the, the customer in front of a computer, they're also operating in a competitive environment. Do they feel threatened? You've just mentioned the term hybrid as a competitive response in some ways, but do they feel threatened? I'm thinking here of the, the, the things like Nutmeg and, and Wealthify. Um, I wouldn't say threatened by the likes of, like you say, Nutmeg and Wealthify. What, what we're seeing a lot of um, advice businesses come to us is say they start to segregate their clients. So what they've started to say is, and this is not a, I don't truly believe in high net worth clients and low net clients. You know, my belief is that everyone should be able to get advice if they need it. But a lot of advice businesses are coming to us saying, we're going we're to start segmenting our customers. So anything under 100,000, could we actually look at automating um, advice recommendations for them? But ultimately, if they still need to get to me as the advisor, they can press a button and go, I still want to speak to someone. But over 100,000, this word hybrid's coming in to say, let the customer start digitally, so complete the fact find online, but then ultimately hand over to the advisor, the advisor takes over. And I think we're seeing that a lot in the industry where they say, well, we don't see the, the nutmegs and the wealthy advisors competition because they're not taking our business off us. We're not losing customers to them because the customers that are established already with IFAs and advisors, they're not starting to go, well, I'm going to go and put my eyes with wealthy fire. I'm going to go and put my eyes with nutmeg. But what they are saying is, even though they don't see them as threats, they still want to look at how do I automate that customer that comes in on the 6th of April and says, I just want to top my ice up by 20,000. And that's the biggest threat they see is that if they don't start to sort that out easily, they will start to lose people to Wealthify and Nutmeg. So I don't think they're, they're threatened as yet, but they are worried about it. And they're coming to us to say, how do we automate these low-end transactions of, say, a brand new ice for every year? Well, they're, they're also operating in a marketplace which is getting more complicated. I don't know even 10 years ago, it was a choice of equities, bonds or funds. Now you've got all these digital asset classes coming on, most obviously cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ether, but also we're seeing security token markets develop, utility tokens come along, asset-backed tokens, even these non-fungible tokens uh, coming along. Do, do they, the clients you talk to, do they feel they need to understand better and get involved in those asset classes as well is that a, is that one of the problems they face because their clients are pressurizing them to i think it's um it's, it's quite a new thing i think Dominic. i think they you know there's certainly ones i've spoke to this year um, along with their colleagues is the seeing certainly a cryptocurrency bitcoin for example their clients are starting to ask should i hold it in part of a portfolio so they're not seeing it as a, a move away from the typical asset class model of I need equities, I need bonds, I need property, I need cash in my portfolio. And when they're doing annual reviews and rebalancing, um, they're starting to engage in conversation with the client saying, well, I put 5,000 of my cash in Bitcoin, it's raised to 9,000. The following week, it fell to 7,000. So clients are still very, very wary that I've got typical portfolios. Yeah. But what advisors are starting to say is a lot of our processes that we align to automate will align to those typical four asset classes. And we're starting to see people come to us along with ESG investments saying, could we actually bring in a cryptocurrency for part of that overall 100% allocation? So we're doing a piece of work actually funnily to say, you know, could we look at say a low percent allocation to something like a cryptocurrency or an ETF with a small percentage of that portfolio. That initial investigation, though, has found that a lot of the asset managers, the fund managers that are investing money, are starting to look at ETFs and different ways of investing. And often we're saying, well, we don't really need to add that as a separate asset classes to our portfolios. But we're certainly seeing some advisors say, could we add some money to this as part of the top end high risk part of a portfolio? 
there's an old joke in business that um, the real problem in trying to make your business more productive and efficient is the clients, that they uh, move much more slowly than you do and continue to make unreasonable demands. Um, and you referred a minute ago to, to the client who just wants to top up their ISA once a year. Uh, there'll be lots of other clients who are perfectly happy and prefer to deal with with paper and so on. Is one of the problems that that financial advisors face is that actually clients don't want to move as fast as 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 they could uh, to make the financial advisor's own business more efficient. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think we've we've certainly seen since uh, you know the horrible COVID situation we're in since uh, since March when after that started. Um, um last year we've certainly seen um some customers switch quickly than we thought they ever would do there's a lot of commentary as you will know in that we've seen probably 10 years of change in the space of 18 months with covid um so we've, we've certainly seen a change because of that that's been forced upon advisors where they're doing meetings now on zoom they're doing meetings on teams like we're doing now um and customers seem to have embraced that because they've been forced into that situation but a lot of advisors still comment on Yes, we want to, for example, send a fact find digitally. So if I was seeing you next week, Dominic, I might say to you, I'm going to send you all the fact finds so you completed at home yourself. And a lot of the feedback we're getting from advisors is that's great that you've developed this, for example, but other clients actually ready for that. Some clients are saying, well, I don't want to do that. I'm used to seeing you face to face. I don't mind using Zoom and Team because of the world we're in, but I don't want to start doing the fact find. That's your job. So we're seeing that change, but it's certainly slower in some areas. Um, our two biggest clients, though, have, have been really successful with it, in that they've really embedded. Instead of spending two hours with you today, Dominic, doing a fact find, I'm going to spend an hour with you, but I'm going to find out what's really important to you. I'm not going to ask you your name, address, your what's in your pension, what's in your savings. That should be collected automated. I'm going to spend a real hour with you saying, what's really important to you, now, Dominic, is it? Is it this? What's your dreams? What's your aspirations? So if they get it across in the right way, clients are changing. But it's, it's I would say my commentary is, it's slow. We are getting there. Are the industries getting there? Now, these financial advisors are obviously having to invest in, in new systems. They're trying to change the way they work, both with their staff and, and with their clients. It's like flying the plane and trying to change the engine at, at the same time. So it's an, and on top of that, they've had to deal with uh, with RDR, which I now think is what four years old. In 2018, it came into effect. I think something like that. I can't remember exactly. Maybe longer than that. But anyway, yeah. they're they're having to switch their their revenue model away from, uh, you, know, you know, towards I don't know ad valorem fees as opposed to transaction fees, um, more towards time based fees. So what's happening to their the structure of their of their revenues? Do, do have they found it difficult to adjust the balance? Uh, compared to what they used to, the way they used to get paid, towards getting paid in different ways. Yeah, I mean, we we were certainly for the advisors we speak to, we get a, a mixed spectrum of um, people are charging initial charge, they're charging ongoing service. We talk to some clients that are time based. The biggest change I've certainly seen in the last couple of years is that the ones that were were charging time based are the ones that are struggling the most. So if I was charging a per hour rate for eight hours of work or 20 hours of work, they're seeing real pressure with clients going, does it really take 20 hours to prepare this advice case for me to put a £50,000 investment away? Mm -hmm. So we've seen a lot of them shift towards we need to either dramatically reduce our hourly rate or reduce the time that we're saying to the client it takes to prepare this advice. So they're, they're the ones I think struggling the most. Um, We've seen some businesses move away from initial charge to more BIPs. So rather than saying we've got an initial 3%, um, the same what we'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll do it on an annual basis instead. So we'll look after you on an annual basis by making sure we spend time with you. Um, but I think that the industry as a whole, the regulator, is the regulator driving this. So the regulator is trying to drive down fair value, fair value for customers. So a lot of businesses are thinking, hang on a minute, our profit in 2018 was this. Our profit in 2020 is this, is declining. How do we address this? Because the regulator is driving down what we can charge for ongoing service and additional charge. How do we make ourselves more efficient? And it's, it's a bit of a situation I look at with a business doesn't know it's got a problem until it knows it's got a problem. And I think a lot of businesses are now coming to us going, we need to be more efficient. We've got to be more efficient. We're seeing margins hit so hard. How do we become more efficient? And that more efficiency is rather than spending 35 hours on a case, 
we're trying to drive that right down by bringing technology in. And as they try to make these, and they kind of have to let go of some things with a system like yours, like, like Tura, that to some extent they're having to let go and lose a bit of control in order to become more efficient. Is, does, does that create a, um, a concern, even a fear, among some of the people that they will lose control of the client, they'll lose control of the work they're doing for the client, they'll become less important? I think initially, I think it's in that initial message, Dominic, I think it's, you know, when we, we, when we initially say this is what Turo can do. So, for example, a 35-hour process can be driven right, right down to an optimum of eight hours when, once the technology is fully running and installed. Um, and initially, the biggest reaction we get is, hang on a minute, I do not want a computer taking over my clients. I've looked after these for 10 or 15 years. Um, I, I still want that personal touch. And I think that's where a lot of our solutions, now we talk about hybrid, and there's a lot of industry commentary on hybrid. So what we are really saying is you will not lose control. You won't lose control because we're going to remove the four key pain points of your job. And the key pain points as I see it, is onboarding. Onboarding is taking far too long of even setting up an annual review or bringing a new customer in. Um, doing the fact find every year, that should be automated as far as being able to send it digitally. Writing the suitability report and doing the diagnosis in between first and second interview. Now, once we actually say that to an advisor, they'll say, well, that means I still get to talk to my customer at the first interview. Yes. I still get to see the customer at the presentation. Yes. The customers still get access to me. Yes. So really technology is just taking away what they would deem themselves as the horrible parts of their job. Um, and once they get to that point, they then say, so I'm not losing control of my clients, I'm making it more efficient for me as the advisor, and hopefully I'm making it a better experience for my client. And once we get to that stage, people are happier. But you're right in that, that initial thing is, hang on a minute, these are my clients, I do not want, for example, moving into a world of saying, Alexa, top my pension up, just to start thinking they're ready for that. Well, I'll, I'll come back to the points you've just made about outsourcing because I think it's a very it's an important issue. Before I do, I'd like to pick up that, that Alexa point. I wonder to what extent financial advice is becoming commoditized. And I, I didn't think of Alexa, but I certainly thought of say Trustpilot. I thought of price comparison sites like uh, like Go Compare. I thought about how many markets have been influenced by influencers. Uh, you know, if you're selling cosmetics or whatever, you you start to align your brand with with people you know can influence very large mass market. Is is financial advice yet affected by those sort of considerations, those commodity market considerations? I don't think it is yet. I think it's a great question. I think we're certainly seeing, and, and Dara say it, that the, the, the younger end of the market is starting to go to Google more to say financial advice. Should I top my pension up? Going to money supermarket, as you say, those those providers that we tend to go to when we're looking at our electricity or our gas or our car insurance. I think we're seeing more people try and get the answers, but what they find is that the people like money supermarket, as your example there, is that if you go through a journey with them you then get pointed off and it's just a handover to a different, say, wealthy fire or wealth simple. And people then get, well, I'm just being thrown from pillar to post here. I'm not really following a guided journey here and they lose interest. Mm -hmm. So I think they will, they will get there. I think, you know, the likes of Facebook, Amazon, Amazon are talking a lot. Well, do we, do we enter the finance advice market, for example, because people are so used to going on Amazon going click, 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 click. Are they going to try and brace the finance advice market? I think if they are, they've got to make sure the journey's joined up. Um, and that's what you've not got from those people at the moment in time. It's they're having a go at, oh, if someone wants this, let's just third party refer them. And when you move from one website to another to another, people just lose interest for me and they go, I'm not getting what I need here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A big data story in there somewhere. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's not talk about that now. Let, let's go back to, to what you were saying about, about outsourcing. And my, my, my thought process is this, is that if I was a financial advisor, I'd kind of expect you to say the things that you, that you said a minute ago. These machines are not going to, to disintermediate them from, from their clients or the advice they give to those clients. They're not going to replace the people working for the firm. Uh, their costs will go down. Uh, so they can reach new types of clients. They can spend more time on on tasks that interest them because all their routine work is is taken away. In other words, these machines are going to to free up time to do more rewards. It's a very familiar from outsourcing in all sorts of of industries. 
And um, I think a financial advisor could be forgiven for feeling a bit cynical sometimes saying, well, you know, you're the, you're, you're the outsourcing agent or the insourcing agent. Um, you're, just, you're, you're just saying what everybody says when they're trying to take our, our clients and our, our way of life and our, our work away. So what, what arguments do you use with them when they say, well, actually, we're terrified of what you're, you're offering? We're still terrified, despite what you said, we're still terrified of what you're going to do. You're going to disintermediate us. We're going to be replaced by computers. I don't know to what extent you run up against that argument, but I bet you do sometimes, right? We do sometimes. I think it's a great question in that more often than not, when we do an initial meeting with a the client, they'll go, we've seen this before. Um, people come in and say exactly the same. Why you would take any different than other tech provider that says, we can change our world. We can make everything more simple. Um, now, I think that's where we, we differentiate to the rest of the industry, certainly where Toro is, because the first thing we say when, when an advisor says that to us is, we are not going to try and say to you, our one piece of technology will wipe everything off your desktop. Any tech provider that does that, I think, pardon me, lives in Clococo land and is taking the advice on a journey. We very, very clearly say, we are just part of your ecosystem. We cannot get rid of your back book. We cannot get rid of your legacy problems. What we're going to try and do is make the journey more seamless for you as the advisor and for your clients. Now, when they hear that, that initial piece of, we can't resolve all our problems, we can't. No tech provider can, you cannot go to one piece of technology. But what we can create is a true ecosystem. Now, people throw that word around ecosystem too much for my liking. So I strip that right back and say, what I mean by, by, mean by ecosystem is, your client should find it easy to come in, easy to transact, and easy to get out again. Now, if they can do that, and they can seamlessly look like they're in one website, that's a tick in a box. If you can, as your advisor, even if you have to use two or three pieces of technology to give that advice, that's not a bad thing. So Turo will not replace all your technology. It'll just make your job a little bit easier. It'll make it seamless, and that will be better for you and better for the, for the clients. And people then after that initial interview go, you're actually on the money here because other people will just say, oh, get rid of your CRM system, get rid of your fact find, get rid of your back-end provider. We don't do that. We very much say we are just the middle. We're not trying to be an IO. We're not trying to be an IRIS. We're not trying to be a fulfillment platform. We are just sitting in the middle going, let's try and join all this together to make it more seamless. And I think once they get that, they see actually, you know, you're, you're, you're coming across really, really well. And the different thing we do as well, we always say, we are not trying to replace this all overnight. What we will do, we'll start by looking at bits of your journey. So for example, if a, a, an advisor comes to and goes, my biggest problem is I get too many phone calls on people going, what's my options at retirement? Rather than saying, take the whole of Turo, we break it down and say, well, one of the tools of Turo is a retirement guidance tool. Why don't you start to take individual tools off us rather than taking the whole of Turo? And that seems to be working very, very well, where people are testing the water. They're saying, all right, I'll try one of your tools on my website, or I'll try one of your calculators. And that's where we're getting a lot of more trust in the industry now, I think. I'm, I'm very interested you haven't uh, advanced a common outsourcing argument, which is that we'll take away all the horrible stuff so you can concentrate on your core competencies. Uh, but I wonder if, if I asked you that question, what are the core competences of financial advisors from the experience you've been having? Is it to sell products? Is it to listen to people? Is it to talk to people? Is it to show empathy? Is it tax advice? Or is it just a sort of shoulder to, to lean on in important financial decisions? Yeah. Have, you, have you developed a clear idea of what the core competence of a good financial advisor is? Yeah, I think we have as a company, and I certainly have individually. Um, as you mentioned at the beginning, I had a bit of advice. I spent 20 years as an advisor myself as a chartered advisor. And, and I look at the skills that I developed and I try and bring that into every advice that we speak to in the, for me, there's, there's three, there's three key things. What a good advisor is. If you ask a client, what do you see a good advisor as? Someone that listens to me. Someone that in the first meeting, if I talk more than you do, that's not a good first meeting. So someone that can actually listen, someone that can show empathy and, 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 and real empathy, not what I call false empathy. There's a lot of advisors out there that say, oh, I give empathy. No, you don't. So real empathy, really, really understanding what's, what's, what's Dominic's issues here, what's his concerns, really getting to the real nooks of that. So that listening, that empathy, and understand. Understand people throw away this comment, people like you. 
But if I really show to my client, I really understand why you're coming to me, they will come back and come back and come back. So I think there's three key skills there. And we try and take that into anything we do in Turo. And when we're talking to advisors, that's what we say. These should be your core skills. It shouldn't be um, anything other than those three. Three, other than what you said, a shoulder to cry on. Now, a shoulder to cry on should be the, the listening part for me. So if you can come to me as your trusted advisor, you should be able to say, I've got a problem, Nick, and I want to talk to you. That comes back to listening and understanding. Somewhere on the shelves behind me is a book called The Heart of the Machine, which describes how uh, artificially intelligent robots can actually develop human qualities, like the ability to listen, to have empathy, to, to understand, which prompts a thought, which is that one of the fears these um, financial advisors have is, of course, that they will eventually one day be replaced by the machine. But does what you've just described be wrong? In other words, that listening, that empathy, that understanding is really why machines will never entirely replace advisors in helping clients realize their financial goals. Yeah, I, I, I think my, my, this is my personal belief which will come across. Now, I don't think advisors will ever, ever be fully replaced because as good as artificial intelligence may get, it can never replicate human behavior. Humans can listen far better for me. We can show far more empathy and we can understand more. Now, a lot of people will say, well, you work for a fintech, Nick. Why are you saying that? Um, we use a lot of what I call machine learning. Now, machine learning is very different than artificial intelligence. Machine learning is where the machine is learning from fact find after fact find after fact find going in. It's picking more and more and more data up. And what it's doing is picking up what it calls generic behavior. So it's saying, I am seeing this from what I'm being told. I am seeing this. So it's a computer's brain that's very, very different than a human's brain. So a human's brain can take on board that and very much show the empathy. Where our machines won't be able to is showing the empathy. And that's where I think financial advisors will never be replaced, even if the technology gets better and better and better. I mentioned before in one of my answers that, um, you know, I joked a presentation I did once in the, will we move to a world of, Alexa, top my pension up by 50 pounds. Um, we may do, we may do for simple transactions like that, but even Alexa won't be able to go, are you sure about that? Can you afford to do that? Are you sure that's the right thing to do? Are you sure you've not got enough protection in place? Are you sure that's where humans come in? So, you know, I think the technology will certainly get better and better. AI will get better and better. Will it, do I think humans will ever be fully replaced? No, because of that empathy part. But can those learning machines deliver what might be called a mass market customized products in, in other words you, you talked a minute ago about this hundred thousand pound threshold for example that's that's where advice personal face-to-face -face advice starts to starts to make sense for people but you've got this other tiers of clients who don't have a hundred thousand pounds but may one day have a hundred thousand pounds you need some sort of product to to offer to them is it possible to make that that mass market thousand pound product feel like a bespoke personalized product by throwing enough data and enough computer processing power at it can you is that possible can you create that mass customized yeah, product? yeah I, I think you can create that that mass personalized product as, as long as you've still got personalization in there so for example we just said that if a client has only got twenty thousand pounds you don't know what they will turn into in the future so for me everyone should be able to get advice in this country so that centralized investment process for someone that's got £20,000, for example, if I can um, actually show through a computer, I've taken into account your attitude to risk, I've taken into account your investment experience, I've kept it digital, I've kept the cost down, and I can get to a point of, effectively, there's five funds here. So we've centralized this process, we've actually put you here, you've come out as a risk level three, this is the fund for you. Now, the more and more of that goes through, the more the computer's learning, the more data it's picking up, but you still need that personalization. So mass market, if I put 50,000 customers through that, they might all come out as risk level three, risk level four, but you still need that personalization bit to say, why is that suitable for that individual? And I think that's where Turo, for example, comes in because we've still got that ability to add that personalization. So to answer your question, yes, it can be done, 
but we've still got to watch the personalization side of it. Uh, what about um, indexed products, ETFs, and so on? They seem to be garnering a larger and larger share of, of assets under management. One reason for that is they're much cheaper, and the reason they're much cheaper is they don't, they're almost delivered by machines. They don't need lots of expensive people to be making judgments. Does that tell us something about the unwillingness of, of personal investment clients to actually pay for face-to-face -face advice? Is this a problem for the financial advisors that the market is becoming more and more passive? Um, I, I don't think it's a problem for the market. I think, you know, they're, they're saying that, yeah, I agree with you, the market is becoming more and more passive. If you look at, you know, the likes of Vanguard, et cetera, were driving the price down in the, in the UK to points where people say, actually, what's the choice here? We're going we're to have to go passive. We're going to have to move away from this active individual stock picking and individual face-to-face -face meetings. But I'm a true believer, and I think the advice that speaks to us say, I don't think we'll ever move away from face-to-face. -face. Yes, all these prices are coming down as ETFs are cheaper, uh, passives are cheaper, but a lot of their customers still value that active, what I call active stock picking, active still seeing them every year to say, these fund managers are still adding value. We're still getting values from these portfolios. But what we are seeing is more balanced portfolios. So rather than being typical 90% active, we're seeing more and more people move into more passive as part of their overall portfolio and more ETF biased, et cetera. So overall, what you get to the client is your annual cost has come down and your portfolio now might be more heavy weighted to passive ETF, et cetera, rather than being typical active side of the market. And I think that's what a lot of advisors are doing, the balancing out more to drive that cost down as well as trying to embrace technology. Well, you're talking a bit about how advisors should change, but just before we do, just one last question about um, the fears that they have. You mentioned a moment ago that one of the ways clients get going with you is that they buy one function, one component. You mentioned the pension options tool, for example. Do you run into the argument when you're talking about working with them in that way that actually they fear that they're at the beginning of a, of a process of automation or digitalization, which is sort of cumulative and over time, more and more tasks get performed by machines and so they become less and less in, important. Do they feel that you may be the thin end of a wedge which is going to finally put them out of business? No, I, I think quite the opposite because when they see the results of some of these tools, part of the, a lot of these companies are looking at how do we become more efficient? How do we bring more customers in without actually killing the advice we've actually got in the business? So we're, we're seeing quite the opposite and they're saying, well, these tools are working so well that we've now got less admin phone calls with someone ringing up, for example, going, what are my options? What's an annuity? What's drawdown? What's tax-free cash? So these tools are taking away more mundane jobs so they can actually spend more quality time. So the way they're seeing it is, well, if these tools can drive away our mundane jobs, our mundane phone calls, we can spend more quality time on the face-to-face -face meetings that I might want to talk to yourself about. So they see tools as more take away the mundane stuff. These tools can also collect data. So what they're seeing is, actually, where I'd spend 30 minutes in an interview asking you for stuff I should know, if someone's gone through a pension tool online, they've put the pension value in, they've put the state pension in, they might have put the DB in. So a lot of feedback we get is, actually, you've made my job easier and I've got the data I need to have a better conversation with my client. So that's what we're seeing, and that's the behavior we're seeing, is that tools are not going to take my job away. Tools are going to make my job easier. And I don't see that changing in the future, I think. I've mentioned hybrid before. A lot of these a lot of these advisors saying, as long as you make my job easier and more efficient, I'll do what I'm good at, talking to people. Yeah. Now, we, we've talked about the challenges which the financial advice industry they have about what might happen to their industry. Um, I'd like to talk finally about how radical the changes which firms have to make are likely to be. You mentioned a second ago that these tools collect data or can collect data. And, and for everything you've said, much of what Wealth Wizards is doing is actually kind of automating data collection. And the thought crosses my mind, isn't that something that financial advisors ought to have done under their own steam many, many years ago? After all, 
you know, if the client is everything, they need to know everything about, about the client. I'm sure they've all got CRM systems and so on, but why haven't they been better at doing that? Uh, and I ask you that question, not in a spirit of hostility to them, but because I'm wondering how big a wrench this is to start making use of the tools that you offer. Yeah, I think that's an absolute, you know, it's a brilliant question because um, I, I believe for years that the data is king. You see, to so many people, data is going to be the future of this industry. So many advisors have got legacy systems, and they've got data science, so many different systems that when you ask them, could you pull me a report off with all your clients have got this particular house or this particular type of pension? Well, probably not, Nick, because we've got it sat in this system or that system and that system. And you're right. Years and years ago, people should have got hold of this data and thought, if we make this easier for a client to be able to review their own data, or we should know what data we've actually got. Um, so I think to answer your question, I think, yes, they should have done it years ago. They are now waking up to the fact of, hang on a minute, we've got data sat all over the place in our company. How do we bring this data together by effectively going back to that horrible word ecosystem? How do we make sure that we can get this data and get it into a place that's more useful? So even if they've got legacy systems, can we actually get APIs to bring that information into a system that they can use more easily and the client can more use more easily? And that's what I think they're embracing now. The biggest thing they wake up to now is we know we've got to get better at data. We know we hold all this data. How can we make it more seamless so we can use it better and our clients can see it better? And I think that's what they're waking up to now is that we're going to have to spend some money here or we're going to have to use technology to use data better. Um, for me, the likes of you look at MoneyHub, the way MoneyHub's been so successful is they're using data aggregation and they're getting this data aggregation where clients are saying, well, if you should know what's going through my bank account, my income, my expenditure, my gas, my electric. And I think data aggregation companies will become more and more prominent in the industry. So the likes of MoneyHub and companies like that I think we've got to make use of that because it's less mundane for me as the advisor, it's less mundane for a client as well. Mm -hmm. If we think about the, the environment which has made things like Money Hub possible, this tapping into remote data sets using, using APIs to bring together data from lots of different places, and as you say, spanning not just people's finances, but actually their energy expenditure, their home insurance and, and all the rest of it. Do you think that data is going to become uh, as a term you used earlier that guided journey the reason people don't really get quite what they need out of the likes of money supermarkets is not a guided journey they're thrown from one vendor to another if you like um, yeah. do you do you think we're getting, evolving towards a uh, an environment for financial advisors where this guided journey is going to be driven by data by which i mean they might use some of that client's data to I don't know, deliver a tax report. They might use other parts of it to, 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 to get a mortgage and other parts of it to buy insurance and even different parts of it to decide whether they should be invested in equities or, or bonds. Is that the world towards which you feel as wealth wizards, you need to evolve with the financial advisors? A data-driven marketplace, really. Yeah, I think we're already on that journey as far as um, I said before, data's king. I think that the more data we can use, and I think one of the things on my mind is, I think it was a post a couple of years ago where someone posted a picture of a financial advice company and it was all these data scientists and all these data collectors on one advisor. Mm -hmm. I don't see us going as drastic as that. I think data, we need to be able to collect that, but you will always need the finance advice, the power planner at the end of it, because what wealthers have done, we've got all that data and we've used that data to run an algorithm and the algorithm will say, okay, this is the right outcome for that customer. But we've still got advisors looking at that going, yes, but I need to consider this soft fact or I need to consider this soft fact. And that's why we've developed in our solution, what we call choose your own solution. So you can load as much data as possibly can into a computer and it'll say, okay, from everything you've told me, here's the right solution. Now, most of the time, that will be the right solution, but you, you always need, I think, the override facility for a human advisor to say, yes, but, and it's that yes, but that you need to be able to choose your own solution or certainly validate what the algorithm's saying as well. So, and that's where I think the industry's going is that data will become more prominent, algorithms will become more prominent, you will always still need that advice to say the reason why it's right for you, Mr. Customer, is and it's that personalization bit. Mm -hmm. Can I ask the same question in a slightly different form? You know, we often read that 
financial advisors to survive need to become more holistic is the word often used. In other words, they need to stop giving just investment and a bit of tax advice, but actually start taking on board, uh, drawing up you know, clients' accounts, delivering their tax returns, giving them advice on, on things, which a lot of financial advisors ignore, like mortgages and, and insurance, because they regarded them as, I don't know, commoditized in some way. Maybe even get into to legal advice as well. You start to see some financial advisors moving in that direction. Do you think that the clients you, how many of the clients you talk to, do you think are A, um, thinking that way, but B, actually capable of making that jump away from a relatively narrow range of things they do now to, to providing more holistic services? Yeah, I, again, I think it's a great question. I think a lot of the advisors we speak to are really conscious of if they carry on, for example, the saying to a client, well, here's your ISA, here's your GIA, um, and here's your investment, and here's protection maybe, that that client's got other needs. And if they don't look after those other needs, perhaps if they go to another provider that offers that more holistic view, that they will lose their assets under management and that's a threat to their business. So they're certainly saying to us, how do we look uh, for example, if someone's got a will, uh, should we be reviewing their mortgage? Should we be doing the other areas of, like you say, estate planning, etc.? So what they're saying is that we're seeing a lot of people move from level four to chartered, so to try and get to level six to say, our clients are asking us for more now. But individually, we're, we're not seeing people go, we need to be able to talk to people about nine areas. We need to be tax experts. We need to be inheritance tax experts. We need to be able to see the mortgage. What they are doing is, we mentioned before, a lot of companies are now, they've got experts in the actual company. So if I'm seeing you today, I might see you for your wealth needs, but I might say, actually, there's a mortgage advisor at the side of me and they can deal with your mortgage. Dominic, it looks like you're on a fixed rates expiring next year, or it looks like you might need tax advice. We've got a tax expert here. So they're trying to keep it internal rather than outsource it though, because again, what they're saying is we do not want to lose control of these clients. So we're seeing some businesses go, what we'll do, we'll bring in the expertise. So we'll move to a holistic because we'll bring in a tax expert, we'll bring in a lawyer, we'll bring in someone that can deal with that kind of business. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that now, I think, because people are saying, these clients, we need to look after them because we can't lose assets under management. Mm -hmm. Well, we're talking about how difficult advisors find the process of changes they need to make. Well, one very simple way of measuring that is, is the pandemic, of course, where they could no longer have face-to-face -face meetings with clients and had to talk to them over, over Zoom, for example. How readily did they adapt to that and how easy did they find it? Did they find it was a net gain? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it was a phenomenal change. Yeah, it even surprised myself, you know, as, as a company, as a tech company, we, you know, we had everyone working the following day as nothing has happened when the pandemic broke. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the businesses we deal with initially thought, oh, God, we've got 400 advisors out there. Only half of them have got laptops. So we saw this initial, oh, God, how do we deal with this? This is going to be horrible. We're going to see our business drop through the floor. Um, we saw, I think, two or three months of the appointment levels had dropped. They didn't know how to service these clients. They had the clients ringing up going, how do I see someone in the branch? You can't see them anymore. But after that three months, I thought the switch was really quick, really phenomenal in that everyone was based at home. Everyone's on a laptop and we're doing Zoom and Teams calls like this. And they started to use technology better than they've ever done. Now, I mentioned before in a comment that we've seen 10 years of change, I think, in 18 months. And I think that's really, really true. We've seen it from customers. We've seen it from advisors to think, well, I, I always thought technology was a pain. Now, because I've been forced into using it, I'm using Zoom and Teams. I'm now completing my fact find online. I'm now using technology more than I've ever done. So it's horrible to say this, but I think COVID's actually helped this market to mm -hmm. become alive and go, technology's actually here to help us. It's not here to hurt us. It's here to help us. And we've seen even some businesses now as we came out of COVID, I know we've got implications of lockdown and people talking again about that, but we've seen that people going, I'm never moving back to the world I was. I am not moving back to getting in the car, driving to customers' houses, seeing customers face to face. When often customers are saying, I actually like doing a Zoom and Teams call now. I don't I want at all to be like that. Sometimes I want to be able to see you. And that's what we're seeing now. And for me, that's dramatic. If someone had said to me 18 months ago, advisors will be quite happy to do meetings over Zoom and Teams and use technology, I'd have said, don't be silly. Uh, and, you know, I think we've seen that. Mm -hmm. So actually, the financial advisors have proved much more flexible and adaptable than they even themselves thought, thought they were. 
Yeah, completely. And instead of saying technology is a barrier, technology is going to take my job, a lot of advice now will say, actually, I, I see technology here to help me now. It's here to make my job easier so I can have better conversations. Mm-hmm. And have they, have they started to think beyond that um, initial um, pleasurable experience, started to think about how they could use this technology to generate new forms of, of revenue? Yeah, I think we've certainly seen some businesses, as I said before, is that their, their profits are, are being driven down by the likes of initial charges have got to come down, ongoing services have got to come down. Now, what we've seen from some businesses, well, what I, what I was doing before pandemic, I was seeing four people a week. What I've realised now, I can see nine and ten people a week on Zoom and Teams, so I can see more volume. So when we've not seen that switch back, going back to pre-COVID levels, so they're still saying that the volume... But we are now saying, well, actually, these low-end clients, can we automate that even more? Can I give them more digital tools? Can I make this process easier? So the embracing of digital technology of collecting data, for example, I said before about sending a fact find, they're now saying, well, if I can see seven people a week and I can send out more of this automated, it's making my life easier and I can sustain that more. And perhaps, dare I say it, can we bring more new people in to balance the, the balance sheet where we were seeing losses in 2020? So can I bring more new people in where we can automate them? And before I said an example of 100,000, so we've got a couple of businesses that we work with that are saying, we're segmenting people so these new customers can come on board digitally, they can self-serve, they can do as much as they possibly can, but when they want to, they can get to us as an advisor and that's the hybrid bit. And that's where I think they're embracing to say, we can see more volume now. They still know there's a massive problem in the UK. We've not got enough advisors in the UK to close this advice gap. But they are starting to say, actually, we can help the advice gap by bringing on new people and using technology more and sending more things digitally. Now, something we're seeing in, in retail banking, for example, through open banking, and you, you, you mentioned Money Hub, who are a, a beneficiary of that, bringing together data sets, something as simple as an account aggregation service that people can look at on their phone, what all their assets and, and liabilities are. Are financial advisors now starting to think about this, seeing themselves as part of a, a, an ecosystem as opposed to, to being a closed environment which they kind of own the customer and the customer gets everything from them, that they're actually uh, now in a situation where they have to think about drawing in data sets, um, working with or collaborating with, uh, third-party providers to create what are often called in the banking industry, it's not a very good term, but it will use it anyway, so these new experiences. For example, a bank might want to offer to its its clients a, um, an instant stock market buy-sell service, and rather than build that entirely in-house and offer it only to their customers, they may work with a third party who can then distribute it to a new type of customers they wouldn't otherwise reach. So this is a, an imaginative use of of data exchange through APIs to create entirely new services and data. Are financial advisors that you talk to starting to think like that as well in that open banking, open finance sort of way? Yeah, I think I think it's progressive. As I said, that they're all switched to that. I, I don't think it's, you know, it's, I think they're progressively changed to see that that system of ecosystem, as, as we've mentioned before, in the past, they saw that as losing control. So I mm-hmm. think they're moving away like from... banks did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not losing control now. We see that we're going to have to bring more of this put together as long as I do not lose my customer. I do not want my customer going, oh, look, you're using that um, Money Hub, for example. I'm going to go to them. They're better than you. Mm-hmm. So there's still this fear factor, but I st- the, the, they are now saying, if we don't embrace this, we will not be able to stay in our business much longer. We cannot carry on as we were. So we're starting to see that, yes, we're going to have to bring new things in to actually uh, go on this journey. And in your example before, a lot of banks, when they go, we've got this new example, we've got this new thing, um, you know, they, they've got to be careful as well, is that it's got to be in the best interest of the customer. The customer's got to see, is this in the best interest of me? And if you try and make anything 100% automated, and I always call it, build it and they will come, build it and I don't think if you build it, you know, example, um, invest tech, click and invest. They spent millions designing a proposition which has failed in the market, and that was built on. If we build it, they will come. People mm-hmm. don't just react to that kind of change. You still need that change in behaviour, and I think advisors are on this on this journey now. Mm-hmm. Now, if if financial advisors are going to, to go down that that sort of data led 
path of creating these new experiences. Does that mean they need to hire new people? I think you used to be a scientist a minute ago, but do they need a new type of person working in the firm, systems engineers, data scientists, data curators, whatever we call them, uh, because they are the people who will start to create those, those new experiences. Are we seeing that yet, or is that a very futuristic idea? Yes, I think it's now under futuristic, so I'm going to answer that like a politician. Um, <laughs> um, what we're seeing from, from customers that actually speak to us is, are we going to have to employ more people embracing technology, for example? Do we need a data scientist? Do we need a QA? Do we need an engineer? Um, and we always say, well, no, because that's why you come to a technology provider. You don't need that in-house. You are good at what you do. You're an advisor. You've got power planners. You've got people that work for you. We are not trying to turn a finance advice business into a technology provider. Um, and what they often say then is, well, prove that, you know, prove that if we effectively use your technology, we're not going to need our own engineers, we're not going to need our own people checking fact finds, we're not going to need, and it still takes a while to get over that. They still think annually, you're going to use too much of our resource here, we're going to have to bring more people and increase our balance sheet, not decrease it. So I think they're on that journey to answer your question, and we get around that by saying, We've got the expertise, we've got charter financial planners at Tura, we've got the engineers, we've got the QA, we've got the data analysts. You don't need to bring that into your business. Effectively, you are outsourcing that to a trusted brand. Um, and that's where I think the industry will go to. But you're right in that some people, that initial reaction is, whoa, I'm going to need all these people inside my business. No, they don't. Now, one, one final question, uh, Nick, which is this. It's about this change, this maybe this fear of change or how wrenching the change is going to be. I'm asking you to make a wild generalization. Do you think financial advisors believe that, that their profession is going to be disrupted suddenly and massively by robotic AI machines, for example? Or do they believe that, that and, and you touched on this earlier, that, that the, the pace of change is going to be gradual. They will gradually work their way into a data-driven financial advice economy, if you like. Or thirdly, maybe the innovations just, just keep coming, they keep adopting them. And in effect, the business changes almost imperceptibly and becomes something completely different without any disruptive effects at all. Which of those three things do you think financial advisors believe is happening to them? Is it, is it sudden disruption? Is it a slow, gradual pace of change? Or is it a sort of imperceptible process of change through innovation? I think it's sat in between one and two. I think that, you know, 18 months ago, sudden would have been a crazy thing for me to say. Um, I think what COVID shown us is that they are seeing, actually, we can see sudden change in the way that we give financial advice in the UK. But I think it's still, always when I say it's sat between one and two, it will still be gradual. We're not going to see every financial advice business change in 21, change in 22, change in 23, because a lot of advice businesses still say to us, we haven't got a problem, Nick. We are still seeing all the people we need to see. We're doing things the way we did two years ago. Technology's here. Yeah, we'll come along with it when we're good and ready. So you're still seeing that kind of behavior. And I think that's fine. You know, they will go beyond this progressive change that it might take one or two years. Um, I always the example, 10 years ago, robot advice in the market and everyone said, machines are going to take over, robot's the future. Mm. And we didn't see that change. We didn't see that change because of trust. We didn't see that change because of, we know that you can't just launch a robot proposition and take the market because still people still value that, that human touch. So I think we're going to see gradual change. I think we've seen dramatic change in 18 months. I think now it's going to be more gradual as advice businesses wake up and go, we're going to do this we're going to do this at our own pace which is why i think it's, it's between one and two yeah, cool thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us thanks dominic really enjoyed that